Coming up live this evening from New York City. The House set to pass the Inflation Reduction Act, but experts are divided on whether it'll actually help Americans. Fitness company Peloton laying off hundreds of workers and raising prices on exercise equipment. Johnson & Johnson dropping talc-based baby powder next year, a product that has been at the center of tens of thousands of consumer safety lawsuits. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. Peloton is raising prices and cutting more jobs. The fitness company's new CEO sent a memo to employees announcing it'll lay off nearly 800 workers. In a statement today, the company said the move will help Peloton become more efficient, cost-effective, and agile. At the same time, Peloton will charge hundreds of dollars more for its already expensive exercise equipment. Some retail stores will also be shuttered next year. The cuts come after a 20% staff reduction earlier this year. No word on whether any of the platform's popular live fitness instructors will be included in the layoffs. Johnson & Johnson plans to stop selling talc-based baby powder globally in 2023. It's been over two years since it ended U.S. sales of the product after thousands of consumer safety lawsuits. Johnson & Johnson says it'll transition to a cornstarch-based baby powder recipe. In 2020, the company stopped selling its talc baby powder in the U.S. and Canada. At that time, the company said demand had fallen due to what it called, quote, misinformation about the product's safety. The company faces about 38,000 lawsuits from consumers and their family members, claiming its talc products caused cancer. Legal claims say the powder was contaminated with asbestos. Johnson & Johnson denies the allegations, saying decades of scientific testing and regulatory approvals have shown its talc to be safe and asbestos-free. On Thursday, it reiterated the statement as it announced the discontinuation of the product. Electric automaker Rivian recently reported that its net losses almost tripled from the same quarter last year. And aside from Tesla, none of the recent EV startups have hit production targets or even turned a profit. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more. Electric vehicle startups Rivian, Lucid, Lordstown, Fisker, and Canoe have some things in common. Missed production targets, no profits, and share prices that are down substantially from high early valuations. Electric truck maker Rivian reported a quarterly net loss of $1.7 billion, almost triple the amount it lost last year. We've got supply chain issues, which we're all aware of the chips, uh, even though some of the manufacturers are not using the legacy chips because there's different types. Uh, we've also got all kinds of other component issues. You've got increased costs, not just from, from an employee standpoint, but overhead costs. You've got an increase in taxes. Lauren Fix is an automotive expert at Car Coach Reports. Fix says these companies make good cars, but scaling up requires a lot of money. She reviewed the Rivian R1T last year. 
the vehicle was really great technology, but we knew there would be issues with service because again, like Tesla, there's no dealerships. And for the consumer, if there's a problem, you have to hope that a ranger can come out, get to your house or do it online to fix it. If not, the vehicle goes away for X period of time with no loaner cars. Rivian originally said it had produced 50,000 cars this year, then later slashed the number in half to 25,000. It reaffirmed this goal in Thursday's webcast. Their management team's strong. Um, I think they are kind of the leader. I mean, I personally see more and more of them driving around Orange County here. And as you mentioned, they have they do have a partnership with Amazon and Ford. Bob Bilbrook is the CEO of Capture, a business consultancy. Bilbrook believes they will have access to consumers through those partnerships. The Inflation Reduction Act extends a $7,500 tax credit for those who buy electric vehicles. But it's unclear if this will help at all. The Inflation Reduction Act will not help. Because if you read the small details, most vehicles that are on the road today will not even or available are not even eligible for that $7,500 tax credit. Lauren Fix from Car Coach Reports says cars have to fit certain requirements to qualify for those credits. For example, a purchased sedan must not cost more than $55,000, and a truck or SUV can't cost more than $80,000. Most of Rivian's vehicles are over $80,000. Many who buy electric cars, which are mostly luxury vehicles, would immediately be disqualified. This is because car buyers cannot earn more than certain amounts. The industry's trying to figure out if it's going to help the industry. Michael Strong is managing editor at the Detroit Bureau. Strong says there are also requirements regarding final assembly and battery materials. The aspect of knowing how much, you, how much materials you're mining and getting from the U.S. or its trade partners and what you can get from other places. Uh, also, too, much of those materials come from China, and that's a no-no uh, under the new uh, deal. So uh, they're trying to get... They're, they're trying to come to grips with what has actually been presented to them. Rivian says its full-year operating loss is projected to be $5.45 billion, up from its previous projection of $4.75 billion. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Wall Street closed higher today. The Dow added 424 points, or 1 in 3 tenths of a percent. The S&P gained 73 points, or 1 in 7 tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq rose 267 points or 2 and 1 tenth of a percent. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq posted their fourth straight week of gains. The Inflation Reduction Act is expected to pass the House today. The estimated $740 billion package is a sweeping bill that covers tax, health and climate. Because the bill has already been passed in the Senate, House passage of the bill will send the legislation straight to the president's desk. Biden has said he will sign it into law. An important part of the bill aims to lower medication prices. We have been trying for decades to prevail, to win legislation that enabled the secretary to negotiate for lower prices. Big Pharma has had a stranglehold on the Congress, so we couldn't get it done until now. Included in the bill is an array of new climate policies. There are also tax incentives for individuals and corporations who switch to renewable energy sources and low-emission vehicles. The bill also includes a series of new taxes. The most substantial of these is a 15% minimum tax on corporations that make more than $1 billion per year. And here to talk to entities Don Ma about the Inflation Reduction Act is Grace Marie Turner. She's the president of the Galen Institute. 
Grace Marie, pleasure having you with us today. So the, in the Galen Institute article you wrote, you said the Inflation Reduction Act will actually push the U.S. one step closer to government-controlled health care. What part of the bill makes you say that? There are huge subsidies in this bill for Obamacare health insurance. This is an expansion, an extension of the boosted subsidies that were passed during COVID. It, it will cost tens of billions of dollars, and they're going to, to have more and more small businesses dropping health insurance and putting their employees on government-run health care. This is simply another step in a 70-year march toward putting, toward really having a government-run health care system. Right now, uh, if you are on Obamacare and getting subsidized coverage, which most people are, the government taxpayers are paying 82% of your premiums. This gives the insurance companies almost no incentive to control prices, to try to figure out a more efficient, better way of delivering health care and coverage. And more and more people become dependent on the government for their health care. This is a major expansion of Obamacare, and these subsidies are likely to be made permanent, and it will mostly it's going to it's going to erode private health insurance coverage. People are going to see it as much more beneficial to sign up for government health insurance rather than to keep the private health insurance they have. But the private the private health insurance is so much better quality than these Obamacare plants, which have very narrow networks, very difficult to find doctors and hospitals that are the top in their field. And yet people are paying up to $25,000 a year in deductibles and premiums, even for this low quality insurance. Now let's talk about another aspect. Uh, what will it do to drug prices? Democrats say it'll help bring down drug prices, right, by allowing Medicare to negotiate the prices. How would that work? Do you think it can deliver on that? This is a the danger of passing a huge, uh, huge entitlement bill through slogans. There already are intense negotiations for drug prices among the private drug plans in Medicare. But what this is will do is have the Secretary of Health and Human Services so-called negotiate with drug companies. And if the companies don't agree then they are going to be subject to a 95% tax on their sales of those drugs. It is, it is gangster negotiation. And what this is going to do is dramatically dry up investment in new treatments and cures. A University of Chicago economist, Tom Phillipson, has said that he sees over the life cycle of drug development 135 fewer new treatments. That means no, that there will be fewer treatments for Alzheimer's, for cancer, for, for Parkinson's disease, for so many drugs, so many diseases for which we need better treatments and cures. They won't happen because of the price controls in this bill. Now, earlier you mentioned subsidy, right? There's no free lunch. So where, the, where are they getting the money from? Well, they're getting it allegedly from the pharmaceutical companies. The Congressional Budget Office assumes that there will be about $300 billion extracted from the pharmaceutical industry over 10 years to pay for the enhanced government subsidies in Obamacare, as well as a lot of new green climate initiatives, set tax credits for people to buy electric vehicles, to create solar, etc. So there are, they're taking money out of drug development and putting it into their, their favored programs, but not having 
these 135 new drugs is going to actually increase health spending because instead of having cures and treatments like we see for hepatitis C, et cetera, and some cancers, you're going to have people in hospitals having shorter lives, having, having much more expensive treatment because the drugs aren't there to help treat them in better ways and to even provide cures. Wow. All right. Thanks for your insight, Grace Marie Turner, president of the Galen Institute. Thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you, John. The tax fraud case against the Trump organization will keep moving forward. Today, a New York judge denied motions to dismiss the charges against former President Trump's company and its former chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg. Weisselberg and the Trump organization are accused of a 15-year tax fraud scheme. Prosecutors say the scheme let Weisselberg evade taxes on more than $1.7 million. The Trump Organization and Weisselberg have pleaded not guilty. The judge said jury selection is set to begin on October 24th. Illinois is asking voters to consider changing the state's constitution this November. The proposed amendment would grant a lot more power to union leaders. If passed, it'd be the first of its kind in the United States. Here's a story. This November, people in Illinois will choose whether to make a big change to their constitution. They'll be voting on an amendment that some say could give labor unions, especially government labor unions, unlimited bargaining power. Basically, government unions can negotiate over virtually anything, and it will give them a permanent right to strike to get those demands met. Miley Smith is with the Illinois Policy Institute, a nonprofit think tank. The amendment would expand the things unions can negotiate on. Besides wages, hours, and working conditions, it also includes safety at work and, quote, economic welfare. But this amendment adds new subjects, like economic welfare. That is a very broad phrase. It's not defined in the amendment. It's not defined in law anywhere. We have already seen Chicago Teachers Union try to negotiate over things like housing, rent abatement, things that are not traditional subjects of bargaining. The amendment would ban the state from passing any law that, quote, interferes with, negates, or diminishes collective bargaining agreements. It would also prevent Illinois from ever becoming a right-to-work state. There isn't another state that prohibits right-to-work in their constitution either. So this really is a first-of-its-kind amendment in our nation. In right-to-work states, workers can choose whether or not to join and pay a union. 27 states are right-to-work states, but not Illinois. Smith estimates if the amendment passes, a typical Illinois family would have to pay at least $2,100 more in taxes in the upcoming years. It's basically like making every household in Illinois the ATM of the government and the government unions. There is still a chance the amendment might not be on the November ballot. Two Chicago public school teachers and two parents have brought up a lawsuit to get it removed. Smith's organization and another nonprofit are representing them. Oral argument is scheduled for August 24th. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. The Illinois AFL-CIO, among other unions, is backing the bill. It says the amendment will help to guarantee workers' rights to organize and collectively bargain in the workplace and put more money in families' pockets to help deal with inflation. 
It seems like non-union workers have been getting faster pay raises than union workers. Non-union workers' pay was up 5.8% year-over-year in June. However, union workers' pay was up only 3.8%. This is according to a report from the Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics. Is it a bad time to be in a union amid the current inflation environment? Vincent Vernuccio talks to Entity's Don Ma about it. He's the president of the Institute for American Worker and a senior fellow at the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. Vincent, thanks for coming on today. So a recent report from the Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics show that year-over-year pay increases for union workers went up 3.8% in June, while non-union workers' pay was up 5.8%. So non-union workers are getting paid about 52% higher than union workers. That's a lot, right? Why, why is there such a big difference, Vincent? Well, hey, first, thank you uh, very much for having me on. And that was actually the rate of increase of pay. And we've seen that uh, pretty much steady for the last year. Uh, I think a big part of it is that, um, unfortunately, union workers are locked into inflexible union collective bargaining agreements. And because they're locked into these agreements, which can last from three to sometimes five years, give or take, that when you have um, uh, when you have situations like we're in now with massive increases in inflation and price hikes, that non-unionized work, that non-unionized employers can actually give their workers raises more quickly and easily than their unionized counterparts. So I think that's a big reason why you're seeing the discrepancy of uh, union workers getting less raises than non-unionized workers. So Vincent, explain to us exactly why unions can't just raise wages for their members whenever they want to. Uh, it's actually in federal law. Federal law um, has employers and unionized uh, workers or unions um, locked into collective bargaining agreements. And unfortunately, even if employers want to unilaterally give bonuses, give merit pay, or give increases in wages or compensation, they can't do it if they're locked into a collective bargaining agreement and that union contract doesn't allow it. There's actually legislation in Congress called the Employee Rights Act that would do the you know shocking thing of allowing employers to give workers raises without going through the union. Unfortunately, right now, um, that is not the law, but uh, it is good legislation, the ERA. And how long could it potentially take for a union to give raises and how fast could it take for non-union workers to get raises? Maybe give us an example. Yeah, well, uh, a non-unionized worker has the freedom to go into their boss's office and say, hey, inflation is out of control. I'm having trouble supporting my family. I need you to help me. I need a raise. I'm doing really good work. I'm helping you. There's a labor shortage. Give me a raise. And that employer has a freedom to say, sure, here's a raise. Um, here's an increase in compensation or no. Uh, unfortunately, uh, under a union contract, that unionized worker doesn't have that freedom. They can't go into their employer's office and say, I want to raise, let's talk one-on-one -on -one about how you can increase my compensation. They have to go through the union. And not only do they have to go through the union, but the union will then have to sit down and have talks with the employer to open up the entire collective bargaining agreement or the compensation part of the collective bargaining agreement. And that takes time. It's a bureaucratic process. And that's why this is so bogged down. And those, once again, those union contracts, they can last anywhere between like three and five years. I see. Now, I'm curious, despite this, it seems like we're seeing a union boom in big companies lately. 
Why do you think that's happening now? Uh, honestly, I think there's more smoke than fire there. Um, you know, you are seeing a lot of press on increased union organizing. You're seeing it with um, companies like Starbucks, like Amazon. But when you actually look at the numbers um, and you compare, not year over year, because uh, you know, there was a lot of headlines a couple weeks ago about, oh, wow, union organizing is you know substantially up from last year. But what they were looking at is they were looking at the end of 2020 to the beginning of 2021, which, as you remember, was the heart of the COVID pandemic into today. If you go back to, you know, I hate to say it, normal times, um, union, unionization has increased a little bit, but not nearly what they're saying and not nearly what uh, you're seeing on the news now with the you know, large coverage of organizing at places like Starbucks and like Amazon. I see. All right. Thanks for coming on today, Vincent Renuccio, president of the Institute for the American Worker. Pleasure having you on. Thanks for having me on. In a rare move, five major Chinese state-owned companies will delist from the New York Stock Exchange. The announcement came today. The companies include oil giant Sinopec, China Life Insurance, and Aluminum Corporation of China, among others. Each of them said that they would apply to delist this month. The U.S. Security and Exchange Commission has flagged the five firms for failing to meet auditing standards. But China's regulators said they made the decision based on their own business considerations. Washington has long demanded full access to the books of Chinese companies listed in the U.S. But Beijing has refused to allow it, citing national security reasons. Chinese companies that don't comply face getting ousted from U.S. exchanges. More than 270 companies are at risk of delisting. Some are among China's largest companies, including e-commerce giants Alibaba and JD.com and search engine company Baidu. Still to come, which U.S. airport had the most delays and cancellations this summer? Any guesses? We take a look at Dubai's first official camel riding school. What's special about it? We'll have those stories after the break. Welcome back. What's the worst airport in America when it comes to flight delays and cancellations? It's New York's LaGuardia Airport. The average flight cancellation rate there was 7.7%. From the end of May to mid-July, nearly triple the national average. This is according to AirHelp, which helps passengers pursue claims for delays and cancellations. The second worst was Newark Liberty International Airport, which is very close by. The reason for the delays, pilot shortages, skyrocketing fuel costs, weather complications, all sorts of factors are preventing the industry from meeting demand. The problem is so bad, the government has threatened airlines to make them fix the problem. If they don't, they could face penalties. Camel riding is now official in Dubai. 
That's after the opening of the first licensed school in the United Arab Emirates dedicated to teaching the popular pastime. NTD's Arlene Richards has the story. The United Arab Emirates has opened its first official licensed camel riding school. There's other places to ride, but usually they don't offer such an in-depth experience with the animal or that people can come repeatedly and that they can build relationships to the animals, to the camels that we have. Uh, and that they could take their riding skills further from riding long distance. Everyone who tries camel riding at our center keeps coming back again. We found that people like this in a way that we hadn't imagined. There is a higher turnout of women than men in this field, and we are proud of that as it exceeded our expectations. One tourist from New Zealand decided to try the school with her kids. When we got to the UAE, we had never seen a camel before, so we decided to try the camel, um, which is different to a horse. Obviously, it's a lot higher. My 11-year-old gets quite daunted by the size, and it's taken her a bit longer to learn to trot. The Arabian Peninsula has been home to camels for thousands of years. Camels were historically used for transport and as a source of survival. Nowadays, the UAE races camels with prizes reaching thousands of dollars. Arlene Richards, NTD News. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can follow me on Twitter. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, send us an email at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thanks for watching and have a great weekend.